Thanks, worship team. Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. If you made uh, one of your New Year's resolutions to attend church regularly, congratulations. You've started very well. Um, Do you remember way back in 2023? Six weeks ago, we were in our study of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Eric's big idea in that sermon on chapter 8 was we, not me. And, and so my point, this part in the sermon is, is this. I, you know, I think setting New Year's resolutions is, is, is fine. But I think we have a tendency to make those resolutions me-centric as opposed to we-centric. And I think when we get to today's text, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to resume that study in 1 Corinthians, you will see how Paul... Uh, uses himself in a we-centric resolve in this whole idea of we, not me. My name is Scott Gill, and I have allergies. Um, I'm also one of the elders here at the the downtown campus of of Bethel Bible Church. And um, for those of you who may not have heard me preach before, uh, I'll apologize up front, um, I haven't been up here for several months, and there's a very good reason for that. I've, I, I've got this reputation of telling really bad dad jokes. And, um, well, not only that, but in my, my old age, um, my hearing's starting to fade, so I went to a doctor, and he said, Scott, describe the symptoms. I said, well, uh, Homer's this fat, bald dude, and his wife, Marge, has tall blue hair. That went over like a lead bloom first service, too. The, the symptoms. <laughs> Tons, the Simpsons. Oh, I'm going to stick to my notes. Um, <clears throat> thank you. Hey, one, one thing I, I, I have learned in all my years um, is that following instructions uh, can be time-consuming and, and perhaps painful, but following instructions can be very, very beneficial. I'm reminded of a story of, a, of an old man that was flying alongside uh, his pilot friend in a little Cessna, small Cessna aircraft, and the pilot suffered a fatal heart attack. Now, the old man had no flying experience, but he was able to pull the pilot off the controls and, and radio for help. Three experienced pilots guided this old man to a nearby low-traffic airport and directed him on how to land the plane. Now, it wasn't a clean landing. The plane bounced and skidded off the runway into a pasture, but the old man survived. He benefited from following the instructions of those with experience. And if you think back to uh, Eric's sermon on 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul had directed his audience, and and by us, uh, through application, to subordinate one's freedom, to subordinate one's rights, to subordinate one's liberty for the benefit of brothers and sisters in Christ. And such is the uh, essence of agape love, in humility doing and sacrificing for the edification and the benefit of another. If you recall how chapter 8 ended, Paul said, uh, he said this, he said, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat again. And for emphasis, he concluded, lest I make my brother stumble. Paul regarded it a sin to cause your brother to stumble. And thus, you know, we need to be willing to subordinate our rights, our liberty, our freedom um, 
for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to kind of fully grasp the big idea, which we have again today, is we, not me. Now, I don't know about you, but, but does subordinating your rights sound like it's something easy to do? You know, in some sense, it, it's as if I'm that old man left alone to pilot this small aircraft to safety. And, and, and I need instruction from those who, who have experience. And now, if I were a first-century Corinthian, I think I'd want to ask Paul this question. Just how do I set aside my liberty, Mr. High and Holy? Tell me how to do it. Give me instructions to land this plane. I know they didn't have planes back then. But, but the, the point is that like those experienced pilots that guided that old man, Paul guided the Corinthians on the matter of subordinating one's personal rights here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's we, not me. And Paul here uses himself as example in his instruction manual. He'd done it. He was experienced at it. So, if you will, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to continue in our series in 1 Corinthians. We went through the first eight chapters last fall. And uh, God willing, we'll get through the rest of the the book uh, during the spring semester. Now, chapter 9 has 27 verses. And for those that that know me, uh, this is kind of a difficult thing for me to preach. There's a lot of material in these 27 verses. and, And it's a tall order. So my expository approach is going to be a little bit different. I'm, I'm going to kind of focus in on the practical and the coherent. And, and I hope you find it, it helpful. Um, and, and just so we get this set up front, your translation, just like my new King James, is probably going to lean towards a defense of Paul and his rights. Okay? And, and I think that's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, there's probably good reason. I'm sure Paul faced a lot of critics in his, his day. Um, but I think that leaning can lead you away from, I think, the broader context. And we're going to look at the broader context because I think it's practical, I think it's helpful, and I think it is coherent. So here's what I, I, I plan to do uh, in terms of my outline. You can see that up on, on the screen. I, I think this breaks down into your instructions into four pieces. First of all, Know your mission in life, and I think we see that in verses 1 through 3, where Paul identified his apostolic mission, right? Know your mission in life. Paul said this, he says, for you are the seal. He's talking to the Corinthians. For you are the seal of my apostleship. We'll move into the meaning of liberty, the real meaning of one's liberty. You know, for, for Paul, again, it was about we and not me. The third thing, know the measure of love. You know, when you subordinate your rights for the benefit of another, the meaning or the measure of love is others, right? Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it, that I may share in it with you. And then fourth thing is grasp the method to Paul's lesson. Grab the method to his lesson. He illustrated in 24 through 27 um, what it takes to subordinate one's rights for a brother or sister in Christ, to pursue it and then to train in it. Now, I think it's probably worth just a little bit of time to, to reset our minds in, in some context. Eric has done a fantastic job of, of kind of getting us put into the, the time and the place of the Corinthians. Uh, if you remember, Paul's written this letter from Ephesus. He's on his third missionary journey. He's getting a lot of correspondence from the young church in Corinth, the church that he set up on his second missionary journey. He spent 18 months there 
establishing the church, preaching, ministering uh, in Corinth. He's now in Ephesus, getting this correspondence of issues and concerns have come across. This is his second letter, our first Corinthians, the second letter. There's four that we know of, our, uh, the fourth letter being our second Corinthians. He writes that on his way to visit Corinth uh, later on this third missionary journey. Now, I think uh, concerning some of the context of the city itself, uh, you know, Eric's brought up some great points about, you know, two-thirds of the city was, was slave, one-third was, was free. You've got to remember, this was a bustling city, uh, uh, very dependent on the trade industry. They had a seaport to the east, one to the northwest with a short strip of land in between. Trade was a big industry, and, of course, that attracted a lot of different businesses uh, in that process. Um, and as such, if you also remember uh, the ancient times, that the Greco-Roman culture um, had this, this whole idea of patronage in place, that the, the patron-client relationship. It was firmly entrenched during this time. And in this nouveau-rich city, this, the city that was growing and developing, there's kind of a, I don't want to call it competition, but maybe ambition uh, amongst to kind of grow up and, and, and go up the, the, the social ladder. And, and naturally... Um, those who had more clients, those who had the cooler clients as a patron, you know, they, they kind of climbed up that social ladder more easily. And it enhanced themselves not only to have more and cooler clients, but have those that, that had great ability, great talent, um, such as talented sophists or, or, or talented teachers, uh, trendy orators, right? Those are the ones that, that really boosted your, your stock as a patron. And in that relationship was kind of this quid pro quo type of of thing. But Paul had nothing to do with that. Paul wanted nothing to do with that. For Paul, it was about the we and not the me. So let's let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And my first observation is this. How do you subordinate your rights? First thing, know your mission in life. Know your mission in life. Paul identified his apostolic mission right away. He says this, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Now, I'm going to just hit it right up front. I, I put verse 3 in with 1 through 2. Again, I, um, I'm take, let me take just a quick, quick sidebar on that. Most of your translations are going to kind of link verse 3 to verse 4. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I get it. I know what they're doing. I, I know what they're trying to do, what they're trying to say. I've kind of hit on some of that before. I've got the New King James up here. You look at your ESV, uh, NASB are the, the ones that I normally look at. They kind of link verse 3 to verse 4. Again, that, that's perfectly fine. I, I think it's a little bit leading uh, towards the defense of Paul. Um, there's a lot of, of Greek scholarship work that looks at verse 3. And, and, and the debate is this, is, is do you look at verse 3 as a verse that points back to and concludes verses 1 and 2? Or is verse 3 uh, introducing by pointing forward to, to verse 4 and beyond? And, and there's, I'm not going to get into the, the details of that. But I think at a minimum, at a minimum, you need to kind of consider verse 3 of at least looking back. And that's the way I'm looking at this. Is it's looking back, capturing uh, the, the thought of verses 1 and 2. You can look at the grammar, you know, the, the, the first person versus second person uh, uh, Singular, sorry, the first person singular versus plural pronouns. You can look at uh, the lexicality of the word choice. You can look at uh, the, the style, the rhetoric. But I think the important part here is the theology of Paul. When you, when you think about what he's doing here, 
you remember Eric's uh, sermons before, he says uh, chapters 8, 9, and 10 form a single unit. And that single unit was identified in verse 8-1 where it says, concerning things sacrificed to idols, right? And so he went through this whole chapter 8 on subordinating your rights. You know, I'll never eat meat again if it causes my brother to stumble, right? And so 8, 9, and 10, 9 is the continuation of, of 8. And if you, you also look at the theology of Paul, Paul is interested uh, more in the didactic, the teaching to these Corinthians and correcting them on this, this concern that they have. And, and, and he's, I think chapter 9, he's using himself as the example of how to subordinate your rights. And, and if you look at, I think chapter 10 actually ends with 11.1, 1, um, he says this, imitate me as I also imitate Jesus Christ. So with, with that in mind, at least consider verse 3 looking back as, if I've, as I got it presented here. So let's dig into the text. Again, this is tying back to 8, 9, where, where Paul gave the imperative. He said, um, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. See, Paul, Paul didn't just ask these Corinthians to do something that he wouldn't do or that he hadn't done himself. And that's what I like about this. If food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat again. See, Paul didn't just want to leave it at the theoretical. He's going to take it in chapter 9 to the actual from which we can get the practical. Okay? So let's, let's dig in here. Verse 1. Am I not an apostle? Yeah, Paul, you're an apostle. He starts the letter. Paul, an apostle called by Jesus Christ through the will of God. He is an apostle, right? Am I not free? Yes, Paul, you're free. He continues on. Have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? I don't know what he said to the Corinthians. We don't have that recorded for us, but I'm sure Paul's testimony was an important part of who he is and how he preached and how he taught to other people. Luke recorded the, the conversion on the road to Damascus three times in the book of Acts, right? You got Acts chapter 9, chapter 22, chapter 26. On the road to Damascus, he saw the risen Lord. If I am not an apostle, I think that the, the better Greek translation instead of if I am is even if, even if I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. Why do you say that? He says it because for you are the seal. You are um, the authentic imprint, right? The sphragis is, is the Greek, the, the authentic imprint of my apostleship. It's you in the Lord. So my defense to those who examine me, my, my apologetic, my, my answer, my response, my defense to those who examine me is this. It's you. You are my defense. I'm an apostle to you. That's my mission. And so I, I guess as we think about this in terms of application, what's your mission? What's your mission in life? As you start a new year, is it your physical appearance? Is it your job? Is it your school? Is it your charm? Your wit? Your social media persona? Your finances? Is it to lose 25 pounds? I could lose 5, 10. Those markers of identity or those markers of mission are temporal. You know, that's not what Paul has in mind. As Christians, you have a purpose, a unique and intentional purpose. He wrote in Ephesians for you, you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared. Are you working for him? Are you working in those things that he's prepared for Paul? He was an apostle 
to the Gentiles, specifically to the, the church in Corinth. So you've got to ask yourself, do you know your mission? It's not an easy question to answer. And, and the busyness, the distractions of the world, they can pull us away um, from our mission, from even knowing the point of our mission, to know our mission at all. So what has God called you to do? It doesn't matter if you're seven or you're 77. He's called you to do something. I would suggest as this year begins, spend some time in, in his word, some time in prayer, some time in the community of his saints. Younger folks, get with your parents. Get with those who you consider spiritually mature. Develop a set of resolutions based on knowing your mission in life, knowing that it's we, not me. Number two, how do you subordinate your rights? Not only do you know your mission in life, but know the meaning of liberty in verses 4 through 18. Long passage here. Paul described his apostolic rights, his apostolic rights, I can't even pronounce it. He expressed them rightly, okay? Four through six, he identified his rights, right? Then he justified those rights as an apostle, and then he clarified those rights in terms of how he viewed them, all right? So let's look at the um, identification of those rights beginning in verses four through six. He says this, do we, okay, now we got the first person plural, we apostles, I think the apostles and those who accompanied the apostles, do we have no right to eat and drink? Well, the obvious answer is yes, you do. Uh, There's a group of young men studying the book of Luke on Friday mornings, be here at six o'clock for tacos made by our good friend Evan there in the back. Um, studying the book of Luke. And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 70. Your translation might say the 72. He sends out these 70, 72 disciples of his. And this is what he he instructs to them. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give you. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. The implication here, the right to eat and drink was at the church's expense. Continuing then with verse 5. Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas, that's Peter? Well, the answer again, yes. Again, in the expectation, the housing, the food, to be at the church's expense of the apostle and those who accompanied him. Again, he's, he's identifying his rights. Verse 6. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Paul, you have the right to work. You have the right not to work and receive patronage, uh, as was the culture of the day, right? He has identified his rights. And then as we get to uh, verse 7, all the way through 14, he now justifies those rights in multiple ways. The first thing he says is that these rights are are, are customary. He gives these examples, these metaphors. Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock? And does not drink of the milk of the flock. It, it was, it was um, part of what you did. It was customary to the provision of one's service. He continues in verse 8 uh, through 10 and talks about um, these uh, rights being cultivated by the providence of God. Do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, i.e. Deuteronomy 25, Flip back to it if you want. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it an oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? That's interesting. Very interesting question. Go back and read Deuteronomy 25. Not now, I'm talking. 
Go back and read Deuteronomy. It was funny. You can go ahead and laugh. I don't mind. Um, people laugh at me all the time. Um, go back and read Deuteronomy 25. It's all about human social relationships. It has nothing to do with animals. And there's a little one-liner Moses weaves in there, right? But he does it for a reason, and Paul's going to interpret it for us right here uh, where he continues. Let me find my place again. Uh, for our sakes, no doubt this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. Paul's seeing himself as the oxen. The oxen's treading out the grain for the benefit of God's people. Like God, Paul is working for the benefit of those people. Paul is ministering. He's preaching. He's doing what he does for the benefit of the people. He's the ox. He sees himself as the oxen. Not, not doing it for the food. He's doing it for the people of God. Now, there's also an interesting word here. Um, my translation says... Um, I keep losing my place, old age. Uh, should be a partaker of this hope. You're going to see that word partaker or, or a synonym of it several times over the next few verses. Again, this is emphasizing the sharing part, the we, not me, uh, that Paul um, is speaking to. All right, we continue then. Uh, we, we talked about being cultivated by the providence of God. Such um, provision of the people, such recompense, such payment was also commensurate with the product of the work. Starting in verse 11, uh, he writes this. He says, if we have sown spiritual things for you, now he's brought it down narrowly to the church in Corinth. If we have sown spiritual things for you, it, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, he's referring back to that patron-client relationship, right? If, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Of course. And I think verse 12 doesn't break there. My translation breaks it because I think Paul's continuing this thought. Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. His mission is getting the gospel of Christ to others. He's on, he's on point with his mission. It's not about Paul. It's about we. It's about his mission for Jesus Christ. And finally, we get that uh, such recompense is correspondent to the priestly function and, and to what Christ commands himself. Verse 13 says this, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offering of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. As I mentioned, Luke 10 I think you see something similar in Matthew 10. Um, that there is this idea that that right is full for the apostles. So Paul has identified his rights. He's justified his rights. And now he clarified his view of the rights. And we're ultimately going to get to the meaning of liberty with this. Because I think herein lies the meaning of liberty. It's we, not me. Read what he says here. This is Paul. Verse 15. But I emphasis, but I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. He doesn't want this to be read as some sort of veiled request for financial support. That's not what Paul is about. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. What was his boast? We'll read in verse 16. His boasting was not necessarily the preaching. It was the sacrifice work that he did for God's people when he preached. He viewed himself as the oxen. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. 
For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And he, he, he does this in a willing way. He didn't want to look to, to worldly recompense. He, he is looking to the spiritual recompense here. And he says this, um, for if I do this willingly, I have reward, right? But if I do this against my will, it's just a job. You know, I'm entrusted with the stewardship. He's doing this willingly, and in that is great reward. Now, I don't think this is a passage on eternal reward. I think this is temporal reward. It has eternal consequences, but Paul's doing this for the benefit of others. He wants them to know Christ, to grow in Christ. That's what Paul was about. He was about the we and not the me. And so he continues. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel... I may present the gospel of Christ, number one, without charge. Faithful obedience was reward enough for Paul. And two, that I may not abuse my authority, that he won't abuse, be be seen as some sort of patron client where there's this quid pro quo. No, he did not want to abuse any authority that was given him in the gospel. The meaning of liberty is locked on we, not on me. So, Let me just kind of illustrate something here with this whole idea of um, the meaning of liberty, what it means. I can't think of a better way to illustrate this. I'm sorry, folks, but um, I've got to use a dad joke. Go ahead, laugh. It's fine. It's fine, Mo. It's fine. A prisoner breaks out of jail. He just exclaims, I'm free, I'm free. A little four-year-old boy sees this and walks up to the con and says, so what? I'm four. Come on, give it to me. Give me some love. Come on, love. Uh-huh. Yeah, bad, bad jokes. That's why I don't come up here very much. Um, but you know what? That little boy nailed it. You're free. So what? So what? Now, this guy's a, an agnostic, so... Um, Anyway, it, I think it's very profound. Uh, this is Tom, Thomas Huxley. He, he once wrote this. He said, a man's worst difficulties begins when he is able to do as he likes. Okay? Uh, I, look, he's, Huxley, though an agnostic, is spot on. A man's worst difficulties begins when he is able to do as he likes. Man, that's rich, right? That's very me-centric. That's a me-centric view of, of liberty, right? A man's worst difficulties begins when he is able to do as he likes. For those of us in Christ, however, our liberty has purpose, or at least it, it should. Um, as Peter Marshall, uh, this is the chaplain, not the game show host. We've got to go back to the 1940s. Um, he once prayed this to the U.S. Senate. I love this one. This is a great quote here. He says this, <clears throat> Peter Marshall to the U.S. Senate in his prayer. Our liberty is not the right to do as we please, but the opportunity to do what is right. I like that. Our liberty is not the right to do as we please, but the opportunity to do what is right. So how do you view your rights in relationship to what is right? <laughs> I think something fun to do, because you need to ask yourself what's right in the eyes of the Lord. Is, is go back and look at the book of Judges. Man, it's... Uh, there's a line that's repeated in there quite often. It says this, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You guys familiar with that? Um, it's a repeated line. Self-centeredness, 
self-intent, self-absorption, selfishness, all sorts of me-isms. It was a time of um, moral and spiritual chaos for the nation of Israel. But look around our country today. I, I, you're probably going to see a, a lot of the same thing. And, and so it just resonates. You're free. So what? What are you going to do with it? How do you think about your rights, your liberty, your freedom? Um, many years ago, um, some of you know uh, our dear friend Matt McGill kind of turned me on to Bob Dylan. And um, I don't know if you were aware of this. In 1979, Bob Dylan recorded the Grammy hit song, Gotta Serve Somebody. Are you all familiar with that? In that song is this great line that says, I'm not going to sing it because I can't sing. And, and number two, I don't have that gravelly voice. But, you know, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. So the question, as you think about your, your rights, you think about your liberties, who are you going to serve? It's going to boil down to two things. You're going to either serve the Lord or you're going to serve yourself. Now, just a, you know, i got time. Interesting sidebar here. Um, the following year, John Lennon of the Beatles, he, he wrote a, a song in response to Bob Dylan, and it was not nice. Um, and if you read the lyrics, you, you'll, you'll know why. It, it never made the hits. I don't even know if he re- released it for a lot of public consumption. But the title of that song was Serve Yourself. Uh, so you can only imagine uh, what that was a- about. Serve the Lord. That's what your, your liberty is about. My third observation here, and uh, we'll pick up some speed, is how do you subordinate your, your rights? Well, we, 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 we talked about Knowing your mission in life, we talked about knowing the meaning of liberty, the true meaning of liberty. The third thing here is um, know the measure of love. So look with me in verses 19 through 23, and, and we'll see that Paul subordinated his rights for the win of the we, not the making of the me, demonstrating that the measure of love, the measure of love is others. In humility, it's doing, it's sacrificing for the benefit, for the edification of another. And the, and, the, and the key here comes from within. It, it, it's, it comes from a position of humility and the idea of, uh, I'm, I'm going to do this for the we. Look with me starting in verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are Without the law, as without law, pay attention to the, the statement there, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. He didn't regard himself as high and holy. I was a little bit too sarcastic with that. He used humility. And he had this idea, as we see in verse 23, of it's about we, not me. Now, this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a, again, partaker, sharer of it with you. It's about us. It's about we. And I can think of no better illustration to express the attitude and what it takes to to do this than what Paul writes here himself in verses 24 through 27 to close out the illustration. How do you subordinate your, your rights? You know your mission in life. You know the meaning, the real meaning of liberty. You know the measure of love, which is others. And you grasp the method to the lesson. Now, Paul, Paul drew on a very common analogy of his day. It would have resonated with these Corinthians. 
the athletic games of their culture. Now, not every analogy um, perfectly translates from the ancient to the present, and, and, and I get that. I mean, we think of a lot of uh, athletics today as being team sports. In, in, in this day, they did not have team sports at these athletic competitions. They were indiv- individual uh, events. They were running. They were wrestling. They were boxing. Um, and so um, even though it's not a perfect analogy that we think of today, I think the intent is indeed perfect because Paul's going to stress what it takes in me for the benefit of we. And I think that's, that's critical to the practical application here. So look with me verse, first in verses 24 through 25, and we see this. Look first to the pursuit of, not of winning the prize, but the prize of winning the prize of we. He says here, do you not know that those who run in a race, now the Greek word there is stadion, which, which we get our English word stadium from. Now, it can either mean a distance, a certain distance, a long distance maybe, or it can mean a stadium where such events were spectated and viewed. And I think Paul has the idea here of it being the latter. It's, it's being a stadium where people watch because people didn't, Paul didn't want people to be spectators for God. He wanted them to be runners for God, which is why he continues all run, right? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it because obtaining it, even though this has eternal implications to it. This is lives for the kingdom, lives in the kingdom for the king. Verse 25, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Hmm. Let me... uh, let me just add a little more color to that because I, I think the Greek language here, um, Paul's language that he used is, is really colorful and we might miss it. Um, he says here, the Greek for competes or your translation may say exercises. And it's probably what you got back there. No, Jim, I think you got the NASB. It probably says competes. <coughs> anyway, competes or exercises. The, 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 the verb here is agonizomai. We get our English word agony from it, right? Right? And so th- this, it's not just competing. There's this, this idea of intensity, struggling. Now, some of you may be old like me. You may remember a weekend uh, sports show called Wide World of Sports. Mo, you remember? Yeah? Yeah? If you remember Wide World of Sports, there was a tagline at the beginning of the show. I think it was on ABC. Um, you only had three channels anyway. Uh, on a rainy Saturday, what else are you going to do? Anyway, there, there's a tagline on Wide World of Sports that said, and the agony of defeat. And they, they said that as they showed a clip of a, I guess you call them ski jumpers in the Olympics, of a guy that was jumping, and he was out of control, and he takes this horrific fall, right? And the agony of defeat. I think Paul's trying to stress here, this is intense struggle, what we're doing. To subordinate your rights to another it's tough. It's hard. It's a, it's a, it's a struggle, right? And then he's, he's, he says this with it. He says, we are struggling, but we're also temperate. We're in control. So you've got to push yourself to the absolute limit without going off the edge and staying in that control. It's a difficult thing to do to subordinate your rights for the benefit of another 
And he continues with this thought here. Now they do it. He's talking about the, the racers uh, in, in the athletic games. They do it for a perishable crown. That would have been a, a crown of pine or a, a crown of laurel. It would have been a temporary thing that maybe lasted two or three weeks. But we, for an imperishable crown, the win of we has eternal implications to it, right? Bringing people to Christ, growing people in Christ. And in verse 26 through 27, he concludes with this. Therefore, therefore I, emphatic, therefore I, I run thusly, not with uncertainty, not aimlessly. I fight thusly, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Again, let me just add some some color to that because where is B-man and C-man? Oh, there they are, football players, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm bringing you out. I told you I would. Young Gallagher's. Good to see you in church. Um, but, but a boxer, he doesn't just train by shadow boxing. Right? It's a contact sport. Those of you who played contact sports, you know that the only way you, you get good at your sport is through contact, right? You've got to practice contact, right? Two linebackers back there shaking their heads. Yeah, okay. You've got you to practice through, through contact. And so Paul uses a Greek word for discipline here, hupopiazo, all right? You know what that means literally? It means to give a black eye. Right? You give a black eye, you're beating your you, this is this is this is not just discipline. This is this is beat down discipline. It's hard work. It's hard hardship. But for what purpose? He does it and for the, the Greek word here is doula gogeo, right? So it's you see the uh, the, the root here, doula, doulos, servant, slave, right? You do this to enslave, to bring your body into subjection to your will. This, this is not easy stuff. And the, the thing about this that, that, gra- that just grabs my heart, he's using present tense verbs. You don't just do this once and it's over. T- to subordinate your rights to others, it's a constant thing. you got to deal with people, my goodness, right? It's hard, but it's all about the we and not the me. It's about training as he continues here. Lest when I have preached to others, I don't become disqualified. He wanted the victory of the we. So let me, uh, let me uh, close or land the proverbial plane, not as that old man did, but uh, as I started with a dad joke. Yeah, look alive, folks. Do you know when a joke becomes a dad joke? Silence. When it becomes apparent. Yeah. I know, you're ready to go home, aren't you? Well, look, there, there's actually a little bit, little bit deeper um, content to that than the surface silliness. And, and what I mean by that is subordinating one's rights for another, it, it, it's not easy. I think that's why he used the uh, athletic analogy in competition. Now, look, when I was at LSU, I loved athletics. I loved them. And the problem was I wasn't very good at them. Um, but I participated in intramural sports. I wasn't very good at them either. Um, one year I was on a track team. And look, I got bird legs, right? And, and bird legs are, are built for distance running, not for sprinting. Um, but one of my teammates had pulled his hamstring warming up for the 440, and, and our team just, it needed some points. And so they, um, they asked me to run the 440, just hoping that maybe I could get third place. And I said, well, why not? You know, what, what, what's so hard about a 440? I'll just take half a lap at 90%-ish, and then I'll kick with what I got left for the last 220 yards. And... Um, I said, I could do that. 
gun went off, and I kind of wonder why all the, everybody's in a sprint stance. They took off in full sprint. And uh, I got to the 220-yard mark, and I was in trouble. I got to 330. I couldn't feel my legs, and I got to witness the back end of everybody's jersey in that, that meet. I did not get third. But, but, but my, my point is this. I had a strategy, but it was misguided. I had trained, but not for that race. But Paul's purpose is your strategy needs to fit the mission in your life. And you need to know the meaning of liberty. You need to know the measure of love. And no, you got to train in it. And it's not easy. you got to train in it to where it becomes a way of life. Second nature. It becomes, like that dad joke, a parent. Knowing what to do, when to do it. All for the we, not for the me. Look, we had a lot of ground to cover um, today. And I hope... I hope you found it practical. Um, I hope you found it helpful. But I would like you to depart with just, with just one thought as we end. As you think about your mission in life, the measure of liberty, I'm uh, sorry, the, the meaning of liberty, the measure of love, you think about all those things. I just As you're running, do you run with purpose? Do you run in such a way that you're seeking how you can best help your brother in Christ? Because it is about we and not me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, mm. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, Lord, that, that teaches that uh, it does pierce. It pierces to the bone, Lord. And, uh, but you're there. You're always there for us, Lord. And uh, you'll never leave us, forsake us, and we can turn to you, knowing that we're imperfect, but you are perfect. Our perfect guide, our perfect brother, our perfect Perfect God, Lord, thank you for being there for us. Lord, for those of you who, uh, who can hear my voice that do not know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, I just pray your spirit move, move mightily in them. And those of us who do, may we, like Paul wrote to the Philippians, may we put on the mind of Christ. May we humble ourselves like Jesus did. Humble ourselves for others. All to your glory. It's in his name we pray. Amen.